Good morning, and welcome to our program, Our American Heritage. I am your host, Art Chenner, and it is desired Our American Heritage to explore in depth the American experience from the beginning to the present. Understanding the history of this great nation is paramount in understanding our greatness. And I'm very pleased to welcome back today, Bruce Malday. Bruce, welcome back, and thank you for coming. Orch, I had such a great time doing the, the first segment of this show. There's no way I was not going to come back. And thank you again for inviting me. It's a privilege to have you and talk to the listeners. Bruce, I believe the number was 26 books, if I remember correctly. It's kind of fuzzy. You know, I've written about 23 or so by myself or with a co-author, and then I've helped a number of other people. So it's in the 20s. I always hate to overestimate or overstate. So it's in the 20s. How about if we go with that? Oh, in the 20s somewhere, leaning more towards 25 or 26 in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So. If you would, Bruce, I just recently saw that you just have a new book coming out, Emotional Gettysburg. Well, the Emotional Gettysburg has been printed and it's been out. And actually, I'm working with Carl Kerner, the artist, and what we're working on that should be out in a few months, we hope, or sometime uh, next year is an Emotional Brandywine book. How that started, and it's it's an amazing book, and we've had people tell us that after looking and reading our book that they don't look at the town Gettysburg the same way again. Mm-hmm. Carl Kerner is just an amazing artist. He was the only one taught individually by Andrew Wyeth and Wyeth's sister. Oh. People who know the Wyeth's family and the Wyeth's body of work, there's a famous painting, Evening at Kerner's, and that's Carl's family home, and uh, there's a German soldier in some of the earlier paintings, and that's Carl's grandfather. As a matter of fact, the Kerner Farm is now part of the Brandywine River Museum of Art Complex. You can see the wife influence in Carl's work, and I've known Carl for a number of years, and he knew I did a couple of books on Gettysburg and said, take me to Gettysburg and just show me places that really mean something to you. Mm-hmm. And E. Carl, being the artist he is, he didn't really kind of fully explain what he had in mind. But what he had in mind was he wanted to do some original paintings, not of monuments and reenactors. He wanted, you know, scenes Gettysburg today. And he wanted me to do essays that explained the historical significance, but why Carl thought they were really emotional. It means to America today, you know, the sacrifices that, that went on there. So I you know, just agreed at the moment, and Carl and I went up to Gettysburg a couple times, and Carl explored more on his own. And it was so kind of interesting and set the tone that first day. It was a spring day. It was a little overcast, a little rainy, and it was a great day for me to go up because usually I go up and I have book signings or doing research or something. So I got to play tourist a little bit, and we went to places uh, you know, like Culp's Hill and the Wheatfield. And we ended the day at the place where Pickett's Charge started. Mm-hmm. And um, actually where it also ended, and we're talking about the ending. And Carl and I went to the area where Robert E. Lee came out to meet his defeated troops. And he said, it's all my fault. And it's all my fault. And the great talk with Pickett, and where Pickett says, well, my division's out on the field and dead. A very emotional uh, place. And Carl and I were looking, and, and Carl was thinking about it. I was thinking about it on the way home. We were talking about, you know, of all of our stops, what made the most impression? And this was it. It was interesting that Carl had a different view than I did. 
Carl said he just felt the anger and, and the Confederate soldiers that lost their brothers and friends on that field, which appeared to be just such a senseless attack. Mm-hmm. And that's what he got from it. And I said, you know, I had a different feeling. I, had, I said that had to be Robert E. Lee's saddest day that, you know, before that, his troops were invincible. He set them out. He really thought that they would drive the, the Union off that cemetery hill. And it didn't happen. And, you know, this is crushing for him that he lost his troops that he obviously felt a lot about. And so I felt the sadness in Lee and Carl was feeling about the anger, you know, from the troops that lost. And Carl picked some really great things. The railroad cut is a great painting mm-hmm. uh, where the troops of the northern troops beat the, and captured a lot of the southern troops on the first day. He did something on the wheat field where I had the a, um, relative that was injured during the battle. And it's, again, he didn't do the reenactors. He didn't do the monuments. Right. There's one reenactor in there. And there was part of one monument of the 22nd New York up on Little Round Top. And it's, it's called Heaven and Hell. And you kind of, he's got the sun coming in from the sky. And then you can see devils stand below. And it's really kind of a powerful one. But, you know, he's got a scene of Meade's headquarters. And, uh, there's a painting right off the of Culp's Hill. And we were back in July, which time of the year of the battle. And we walked down off the hill um, at Culp's Hill where the Confederates were coming up to attack the north. And it was literally, you know, you took five steps and I couldn't see Carl and the other person that were with us. And we're just thinking, what would it have been like to be wounded and kind of left in this desolate place where you're pretty much by yourself? So these were the kind of things that were kind of woven in to the books and the paintings and that the peach orchard, he was there when he saw this. It was, must have been late in the day and the sun come down just kind of bouncing off the tree trunk. And it's pretty powerful when you put it all together. And we were talking, the book's actually been second printing. And Carl and I were talking earlier this year about what we were going to do next. And we had discussed doing a second book series, but the more we discussed, we were saying right in our backyard, right here at the Battle of Brandywine, you know, we already done an emotional Brandywine book with the same thing. You know, mm. what does it look like today? Why this was important in our, in our history? What did the soldiers do there? So uh, that's what we're up to. I've started a little bit of the essays. Carl's got about a half dozen paintings done, and they're just wonderful paintings. The one he showed me was really proud of. Uh, he should be. We'll probably consider for the cover, but it's that Sandy Hollow. And that Sandy Hollow, late on September the 11th, 1777, the American troops you know, stood toe-to-toe with the British for a couple hours that day. And um, how he has it depicted as a lone drummer person you know, with the back to us looking over the fields as it is today with the sun. And it's just you know, very powerful that... Um, and with Carl's interpretation, the way he does it, they're just wonderful paintings. So I'm looking forward. That's uh, that's going to be my winter project. I think when I stop doing all those talks and then signings that we talked about, I know what I'm doing this this winter is sitting here and working on the Battle of the Brandywine. There's just so many great sure. stories. Now, with Motion at Gettysburg, does Carl pick out the sites and you do the research, or do you work on that together, or do you pick the sites yeah, out? They- that was really interesting. You know, I'm not about to tell Carl, go paint a painting here because that, you know, that won't work. Um, but it, it was sort of the both of us. Again, he, 
Carl asked me to show him some spots. And, you know, we went to the Tilly Pierce house and went to Meade's headquarters and Little Round Top and you know, the Peach Orchard and Weefield and Saks Bridge and some of the stuff uptown. And we discussed it, but, you know, I kind of let Carl select the paintings because it's, it's easier for me to tell the history of the Mead headquarters than mm-hmm. for, you know, I tell Carl to go, you know, paint the Mead headquarters. And so it was collaboration, but the selection of the paintings was Carl. Then I interviewed Carl. I said, you know, why did you actually pick this? What is the meaning to you? So, you know, so I did interviewed him and I had my own thoughts. Like when he did the weed field, I talked a little bit about my ancestor. And then I had the history that I did the research and put in. So you, you get the history, you, you get these wonderful paintings, and you get really what it means to you today. And Carl's like, a lot of times we'll, we'll have conversations and I'll say, well, what do you think they think of America today after all their you know, sacrifices mm-hmm. that they put up in, in you know, Gettysburg and other places? So it, it's really it's just a fun project, but also, as your show points out, you know, these are real people that did real sacrifices to win our freedom. And, um, you know, Gettysburg and Pickett's Charge, with where I wrote about, if they wouldn't have stopped Pickett's Charge and retreated from Cemetery Hill there, there would have probably been two countries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the country was in the balance right there. And a lot of people don't realize exactly how important Gettysburg was to our nation. I know, Bruce, when I do tours out of Gettysburg and I go out to Pickett's mm-hmm. Charge and I go out that walkway that goes out at an angle out to That's the... That's uh, exactly where we were talking about yeah. uh, Lee. Yeah. The sense that I get there is you just know something awful happened here. And there's almost like yeah. an emotional dark cloud seeing yeah. that field and trying to imagine what was going on there. It's just, it, it boggles my mind. I can, can't comprehend. You must have been there the same day Carl and I were, because it was, like I said, a little bit raining and overcast, and there's that uh, dark cloud that uh, that's sitting there. Actually, I'm looking at uh, the painting. I, I scraped together a few dollars, and Carl sold me one of his originals. I'm actually oh. looking at it right now, and uh, you, at that walkway, there's the grass and that great rail fence. Mm-hmm. that Carl did, and there's the great clouds in the background, so it's perfect. Wow. Several years ago, you wrote a book, Pickett's Charge, The Untold Story. Would you yes. share it with our listeners? And when I read that book, you gave me a totally different perspective of Pickett's Charge, which I never even comprehended, even thought of, you know, as an well, historian. Thanks a lot. When I went to, I've been to Gettysburg a lot, and like I said, my ancestor was wounded in the wheat field, and I was not going to do a book on Gettysburg. There's thousands of books on Gettysburg, and you know, I just thought, you know, what else is there to say? But one day, I was at the end of Pickett's Charge, near the angle and near the copse of trees that uh, the Philadelphia Brigade defended. And I, I was actually really close to the monument for the 71st Pennsylvania. And I looked across that field and, you know, that's a mile to that tree line mm-hmm. where, where the charge started. And it, even though it looks pretty flat, it's not flat. It rolls up and down and, and it's not quite as it even seems when you're there. But I looked at it, I said, you know, Lee had to try it. I knew Lee had to try because a retreat would have been the same of a loss and to really secure the southern nations, he needed a victory that he could engage the European nations to come in on their side. I, I knew he had, you know, he didn't have really have a choice. I knew Longstreet was looking at it and say, this is never going to work with the resources we have. Let's try it. You know, he wanted to try it a different spot. Um, I knew that. 
read many things about it, looked at that tree line, and I knew, you know, how many books have been written about those 12,000 mm-hmm. Confederates that came out of that tree line in perfect order and started marching many to their death as they faced the Union gunfire. I knew that, and I, I knew that Lee had about 150 artillery pieces ready to support and the great cannonade, the, 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 the battle, the duel that took place between the Union and the South. I, I knew all that. And I just turned to my left after thinking all that. I said, who were they? Who were the Union soldiers to save the nation that day? What did they see? What did they feel? What did they experience? I knew it had to be you know, monumental stories. And I couldn't really think of much. You know, I'd been up and down Hancock Avenue there and read the monuments and kind of knew you know, some of the units and people that were there. And I went back and I looked at many of the books that I read years ago about Pickett's stories. And every one of them are from the Southern perspective. Yes. Who was there? What happened? What went wrong? And most importantly, who to blame? Some of the books didn't mention the Union at all. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, this is wrong. You know, these guys say it's the nation. They deserve a book. So I called my publisher and I said, you know, and, and told him just what I told you and, and the listeners out there. I said, we need to do a book on it. And that's how Pickett's Charge, the Untold Story, came about. Um, I spent, I can't tell you, the number of hours at the National Park Service in their research library, which is downstairs from, from the visitor center. And uh, John Hessler was a librarian. John was very good. I, he allowed me in every time they were open that I could make it up there. And I had a list of documents, and I wanted things on certain units and generals and uh, everything I could think of. And he was pretty good, and he, he could figure out how I was attacking the project. And every once in a while, he'd walk out with the paper and say, you didn't ask for this one. <laughs> Something he knew was there. So yeah. he was very good. And, you know, if after five o'clock, if he was still working, he would allow me to stay after hours. And you know, I'd go up when he left. So he was just great. And I knew my research there was in it. And then one, one day when John came out and said, you've seen everything we have on Pickens Charge. And it didn't stop the research, but it stopped it there. And I had all this kind of great background and uh, Philadelphia Brigade is what I really, really kind of honed in on because I like to tell my history books to somebody who was there at the actual engagement or the event in American history. And I picked General Webb. He was kind of interesting character himself. And he had in charge of the Philadelphia Brigade that had the angle on the Cops of Trees and right there where Hancock Avenue and that's where Armistead came across the wall. And, um, yeah, just very, very integral part of, the, of that whole afternoon. And, and that's how I really kind of attacked it. And I used as much original resource material that I could and used one thing that was very interesting, was a little surprising to me. On my research, I used a court case, the documents and the transcripts from a court case that actually uh, over the placement of monuments at the Pickens Church, hmm. the uh, 69th was placed right in front of the Cops of Trees, where it should be 71st Pennsylvania, was at the angle where, where they held that. Uh, the, the disputed one was the 72nd Pennsylvania. Originally, the monument was supposed to be back towards Hancock Avenue, and they thought that was not proper, and they deserved to be at the wall where Pickett's Charge was fought off. Um, General Webb and a lot of the other union ones said, no, they deserve to be more back on Hancock Avenue and didn't come up to the wall until after the major fighting was over. And they went back and forth, and they finally filed a lawsuit. And it was settled that 
the you know, monument could be at the wall. But during the transcripts, they had a number of the soldiers that gave testimony what they saw, where they were, what they happened. Mm -hmm. So the, that was a lot of really good first-hand information I could use for the book. Uh, of course, with Armistead coming across the wall and being mortally wounded and dying the next day at Gettysburg, you know, there's a lot of really good information. And, and of course, Armistead was friends with General Union General Hancock, who was wounded. You know, they could see each other from where they were both wounded that day. A great American and stories there. Mm -hmm. and General Webb was not in command of these brigades for very long before Gettysburg, was he? No, that's true. Actually, when General Meade took over the Army of the Potomac there, which was you know, less than two weeks before the battle, uh, Lincoln was not really happy with General Hooker, and they really wanted to change, and there was a big dispute, and Hooker said, well, fire me, basically, is what he said, and Lincoln said, okay, <laughs> and Meade, you're in charge, and he did uh, some reorganization, and uh, the Philadelphia Brigade fought hard, but they were a little bit undisciplined. Yeah, you know, they, they were a little lax when they when they were marching. They had a few desertions, and people would come back, uh, and they wanted somebody with a little bit more um, military bearing and and uh, somebody that could really whip them into shape. And they they picked Webb, who was a very young West Point graduate. That his grandfather fought with George Washington. You know, really a patriotic family, and they put Webb in charge, and uh, he did a couple things early on. They got some of the officers and men upset at him. One was some of the officers had taken off their insignias of the rank because hmm. they were afraid that it could be used by Confederate sharpshooters to shoot them, which sounds great on the surface. But as Webb pointed out, yeah, the sharpshooters won't know your rank, and neither were your men. And when you give orders, they won't follow you. Put them back hmm. on. So, you know, that the officers, some of the officers weren't real happy, and he was bound and determined to keep them moving when they marched towards Gettysburg, and they came across this one river, and usually the men stopped, took off their shoes and socks, and went over and put them back on, and he didn't want to waste time. So he goes out in the middle of the water and stands and says, keep coming, don't worry about your boots and your shoes and socks, just keep coming, which... And he was out there as an example, but that didn't quite work out because everybody was pointing out that, yeah, he had his riding boots on and he was <laughs> about to get his feet wet. So, um, so Webb, yeah, Webb was kind of learning as he went, and, but he was awarded a Congressional Medal of Honor for what he did and keeping that line together and taking the run of the pickets charge. It's a really good story there. Bruce, if I recall correctly, and correct me, please, if I'm wrong, several of these brigades were from the 72nd, 72nd were from Philadelphia. Is that correct? 71st? Yes, yes. It was actually the, uh, the, it was the Philadelphia Brigade. A sure. lot of the men were from Philadelphia, both the 71st, 72nd. You know, it was the 69th and the 106th. Those were the four regiments that were part of that brigade. And a lot of them, and some of, some of the portions of the book, the men were talking right before Pickett's charge started, and early, you know, early on that July third, there was not much action there, and they were about ready to take a nap. And I remember a couple of them said, "Yeah, we were just standing around wondering what was going on in Philadelphia at that point." And that's when the cannonade started. So uh, you had a lot of people with the Philadelphia connections there.
I think it's ironic, Bruce, that Philadelphians had a lack of discipline <laughs> that needed. That needed. <laughs> yeah, I, wonder, I wonder if they were ancestors of some of our mummers, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you do have a little bit of that mummer-esque in them. Uh, they're known as, as good fighters, but they, but they, they were a little lack of that discipline, which was kind of interesting. There's a couple of stories about some of them fighting with each other and Webb got in there and kind of straightened that out. He was pretty much by the book. He was a West Point graduate. He, he was not very old. And his father actually owned some newspapers in New York City and ended up being an ambassador for President Lincoln. Hmm. And like I said, his grandfather fought with uh, George Washington. There was a story, and a family story, and it hasn't really been verified because a couple of people claimed the honor, but Supposedly, Webb's grandfather held the Bible when Washington was sworn in as president. But that's uh, you know, one of those stories that I haven't been able to verify. And there seems to be some dispute. But you know, it's very much patriotic family. I started out the book, and I usually try to find something that we can grab the reader and kind of hold them right from the beginning. And it was a letter that Webb wrote back to his wife the day after the battle. And uh, as I was doing my research at Gettysburg one day, and I was coming home, and I was on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, like a three-mile island, I just hit myself in the head, and I said, Bruce, you know, at 10 o'clock this morning, you had to lead to the book. But I was so busy taking notes, and it didn't really sink into the ride home. And Webb wrote back to his wife about the moment that Armistead and, and some of his troops broke through the line. And what he was saying to his wife was, you know, I'm a proud West Pointer family, you know, patriotic. And when Armistead did that, he, he really thought he lost the whole war, maybe the country in that battle for sure, by allowing Armistead to get through the line. And he told his wife, and he was very serious, he said, at the moment, I just wanted somebody to shoot me mm-hmm. because of what he thought he had lost. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. And it tells you a lot about Webb and the meaning of what the people thought. Was, was going on at their minds at Gettysburg. And you mentioned his youth. I believe he was about 28 years old when he was. He, he was in the 20s. I don't remember specifically how. It's like my number of books. It's in the 20s. In the 20s, yeah. <laughs> but he, regardless of where you are in the 20s, Bruce, you and I at our age, looking at anybody in their 20s as a kid. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny you brought that up. Cause I was having a discussion this morning with somebody about Lafayette and you know, reemphasizing, yeah, he was 19 when he came over, and you know, he was a general and everything. And he, he did so much. I'm talking about a kid at 28, a kid at 19, also just amazing. I know. So, well, again, Bruce, the 26 minutes just whizzes by. So, I, I'm it, not looking at the clock. It's up to you to tell me this. It's, you know, it's unbelievable <laughs> how quickly the time goes. Share with the listeners before we close where they could purchase your books and your website. Because, again, listeners, Bruce has a lot of lectures in our area that you would be very knowledgeable to go and listen. So, share with our listeners, please, if you would, Bruce. Bruce, that's very kind of you. Uh, my website is www.mowday, my last name, M-O-W-D-A-Y.com. That will have a listing. I keep up to date on all my talks, lectures. It also has synopsis on all my books. If you would like to order a personalized copy, email me. And my email is mowday, M-O-W-D-A-Y, at M-O-W-D-A-Y.com. Uh, mowday at com is the email. I'll get back to you and we can make arrangements on costs and payments and I'll get a personalized copy for you. 
the books are also available through the publisher. Barricade Books does a lot of mine. And, uh, Schiffer Publishing and a couple of the others, or Barnes & Noble carries them, and Amazon has, I think most of my publishers have them up on Amazon. So you can get them on the internet. If you want personalized copies, email me at maudi at maudi.com. Okay. Well, thank you, Bruce. And listeners, please, I recommend all of Bruce's writings to you. You will be warm, challenged, encouraged, all of what Bruce writes and talks about in all of his books. So, Bruce, thank you for coming back today and sharing with us. And thank you for your research and for your books and for everything that you are doing for us as the American public about our history. Arch, thank you again. You're great to do this program. Much needed. And I appreciate you giving me some time to talk about our great history. Well, it's our pleasure and my pleasure, Bruce, to have people on the caliber of yourself and your writing and as an historian. So thank you so much for doing this. And we look forward to looking at your newest book coming out fairly soon. So thank you for coming. Thank you. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.